Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The roar of the crowd gives you goosebumps, cashing a slip makes you grin, and above all, you love making your bookie cry? Then you're in the right place. The number one spot for premier betting advice and wild opinions, shared with a fan base like no other. Welcome home. This is the Punch List MMA Podcast. Here are your hosts, Dale Lippin and Trey Van Buskirk. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? You are tuned in to the newest edition of the Punchless MMA Podcast. We're going to recap all things UFC 249. Bets we got right, bets we got wrong, the aftermath, and everything you can expect this upcoming week, Wednesday and Saturday, double fight week. Trey, UFC 249 was absolutely crazy, man. What do you got? What's a, what's a big takeaway for us? First off, the takeaway is I'm exhausted. That was an <laughs> emotional roller coaster. Yeah, um, man, from the theatrics of what happened in front of a non-existing crowd to the changes, um, you know, Henry Cejudo announcing his retirement, you know, Dom Cruz saying, you know, Keith Peterson reeked of uh, cigarettes and alcohol. I mean, there was just everything on, under the boat. So I don't even know where you'd want to start. Yeah, I mean, so let's do this. Let, let's start with some of the, the highlights of the evening. Obviously, uh one of the early highlights was the Vincente Luque Nico Price fight. An absolute war. Seems criminal that a fight like that took place in an empty arena because you know if that took place in Vegas, we'd have 25,000 strong on their feet cheering on those two gladiators. I understand and sort of love the fact that it happened in an empty arena, but I also really wish that there was that overwhelming concussive crowd noise for a fight like that. I. It was the first time I saw a human being in the hybrid take the form of a Halloween pumpkin. The dude looked like a straight-up jack-o'-lantern after that fight. But he dished out some serious damage. You know, on the other end, you got a lot of damage. You have to look at it. In this fight, both these guys stood in the pocket and traded for days. Yeah, it was awesome. It it really was an outstanding fight, you know. And it followed up a pretty decent fight between Sam Alvey and and Ryan Spann as well. Those are two big 185ers that were cracking on each other. Sam Alvey is so unorthodox. Yeah. Um, you know, he gets there in a standing head and arm choke and nearly taps, but just decides he's going to go purple and do little Wim Hof hiccup breaths and, yeah. and survives. I mean, it was very interesting. Uh, and then we kick off the main card with Jorgen DeCastro. Uh, against Greg Hardy, Jorgen comes out and does everything he's supposed to do for one round and then took the next 10 minutes off and gave Greg Hardy a victory. And w- w- Here's what's amazing to me. In a night filled with questionable judging, 
one judge even had that fight 30-27. Jorgen DeCastro clearly won round one in that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I mean, obviously he lost the fight. I don't think anybody was thinking that Greg Hardy lost that going into the judge's uh, decision being read. But Jorgen DeCastro had it in the bag and let it go, man. Yeah, well, it was the same judge that gave 30-27 to Watterson in the first round. The guy was clearly off his rocker. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I will say, to back up a little bit, Sam Alvey, if you didn't catch it, him walking into the arena, giving fake high fives to the non-existent crowd, you know, doing shout-outs. What a legend the way he walks in, and his unorthodoxness made it that much more exciting. I think the thing with Greg Hardy, the craziest piece I took out of that very lackluster fight is that he was able to hear the commentating of DC in his corner. Check the kicks, check the kicks. That is the crazy variable that no one can account for. Not only do you have your coaches, but you have the commentators to help get you through to the finish line. Yeah, I I definitely with some of those things, and I can see how that can play more into effect, um, maybe like in a a choke defense situation or uh, maybe a, a joint manipulation situation where you may be separated a little bit further away from your corner up against the cage, closer to Joe Rogan or DC, somebody that knows what they're talking about. And they're saying, you know, Oh, he needs to move his arm or his head or his leg or his, right. his, you know, his chin like this. I see that. But if Greg Hardy needed to hear Daniel Cormier say to check a leg kick, to stop checking a leg kick, <laughs> that's not actually, that's not, that's not that big of a contribution, but I will say this. There's a lot of times in situations like that, and that this is not the first time we've heard that before, where fighters can hear what the, the commentators are saying. And right. Joe Rogan has been guilty of telling fighters in adverse positions how they can escape those positions, but doing so through the lens of commentary. It's even, like you said, it's amplified in an empty arena, but I don't think you can do anything about that. And again, Stuff like checking leg kicks or moving your head off the center line or, you know, not posting up your arms whenever a guy's casual back commentary. Or, right. That's casual commentary. At that point in the game, competing at the highest level, you should know simple things like that. Um, exactly. So I, I, I don't really. You're right. It's, it is a weird variable, but I think there's very few instances where that's actually going to apply. But if you want to talk about an infinite number of variables, listen, we this this is my pledge to you. In my pledge to the people that listen to this show, we are going to find a great high quality software that the aesthetics of which match our online presence. So we can start posting clips of our show in either audio or video format. Because several weeks ago, when you and I were breaking down the Dominic Cruz Henry Cejudo fight, you said that Henry Cejudo at this point in the game is a name collector and that he wants Dominic Cruz's name because you don't think he's going to be around much longer. That's true. Fast forward to Saturday night. Henry Cejudo pulls off an improbable upset of Dominic Cruz, gets the TKO win, and then promptly retires after collecting that legend's name. He took his scalp, he added it to his belt, and retired Man, you don't get any more prophetic than that. So, <laughs> mini golf clap round of applause to you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, do I believe it, though, is the question. I know he did it, but do I believe it? And there's a little bit of me that right now thinks this is all a game of possum. 
what it is is him trying to bolster his paycheck for being what's considered a double double champ, even though he's relinquished the flyweight title. I think that this is a bit of a bold strategy for him. You could tell that Dana was definitely caught off guard when he did his retirement speech. I don't know if this is going to stick. This might just be a sticking point to get a bigger paycheck. Yeah, so the rumor is that Henry asked for a lot more money after the Marlon Marais fight, and the, the UFC told him to go fly a kite. Uh, that's been the rumor that Henry's been unhappy, that Henry's been asking for more money. And Dana White said, you know, for the last couple of months, Henry's even been talking about retiring. Well, I'm with you. I think I think Cejudo's playing the long game here in saying, well, I'll just retire after this next fight. I'll just retire after this next fight in hopes that with a proper promotion, he could do great numbers with this cruise fight and the UFC would want to keep him on. Uh, if you saw immediately after the fight, before the post-fight interview, he's he, talking to Dana through the cage, mm-hmm. and Dana White says, I'll call you. Yeah. Like they're talking, and he right. in, in that exchange, he told him, I'll call you. Then Henry goes in there and talks about how he's in love and this, that, and the other, and, you know, uh, I retire, so yeah. on and so forth. And he looks back at Dana, and Dana just gives him the acknowledgement or whatever. Um, I think that... I think that Henry is as retired as money will let him be. Um, I think with the right number, obviously, he comes back out of retirement, however short-lived it may be. Even Alexander Gustafson retired, or Gustafson, rather, retired a couple months ago, and he's clearly on his way back. Um, We've seen this with Rory McDonald before, GSP several times. Um, I think even Khabib has entertained it from time to time, talking about how he doesn't need to fight anymore. Uh, I don't think Henry's made the money that any of those guys have made, albeit I think he's probably done very well for himself. Uh, but we'll see what happens. I don't think retiring for a woman is the right way to go either. That that could blow up very, very quickly. I, I will say very what he is tying up, though, is two divisions. We saw, obviously, Joseph Benavides and Davison Figueroa did not unify that title for flyweight. You know, this clearly beats Dom Cruz, holds up the bantamweight. He's still, to a degree, holding up two divisions and walking away. So, smart move on his behalf. What was not a smart move, I think, was Dom Cruz going after Keith Peterson following the fight. Where are your thoughts on that? Well, I think we, what we're seeing with Dominic Cruz right now is a level of comfortability that a fighter probably shouldn't have with their employer. Um, and, and in that, I say that, you know, DC is very much the same way. So, like, these guys have advanced working knowledge and relationships with their bosses that have them with a level of comfortability and entitlement that maybe shouldn't exist in a nonpartisan arena like the Octagon with an athletic commission's referee. Uh, I've always been a big proponent of, you know, that Dana White should keep his nose out of the judging and out of the referee um, right. assignments. I hate. Listen, I don't like Steve Mazzagatti as a referee. I don't like Mario Yamasaki as a referee. But I thought it was a bold overreach of power whenever Dana said that those guys were no longer referee in the UFC. Well, that's an athletic commission's decision. That should not right. be Dana White's decision. Um, in the same breath. You have these guys that commentate fights for potential opponents. They got guys that are, you know, firsthand knowledge and friends with their boss. And then the, you know, for that night, while the ref does work for the athletic commission, they are subject to other things happening within that organization. Keith Peterson has been a staple in the UFC for probably the better, better half of five years, 
seven years now. Um, does Keith Peterson, this is purely conjecture here, do, has Keith Peterson put on some weight? Yes. Does Keith, was Keith Peterson very red-faced on Saturday night? Yes. Um, or bloated, bloated face, red face, and added body weight, are those sometimes side effects of excessive alcohol drinking? Also, yes. But I don't think that I don't think that Dom's in the right by going after Keith saying he smelled like cigarettes and alcohol. Um, that's more of a, a grievance to take up with the athletic commission, not something to run to Dana White with right. after the fight. No, 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 no. You ran a little bit scared there. He squandered an opportunity. That was the last one we'll see of Dom Cruz actually achieving. Um, you know what didn't squander an opportunity, though? Justin Gaethje. My God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I want to say this real quick. Just if, if anybody's sitting there shaking their head going that, saying that, you know, I'm, I've got this all wrong or I'm, I'm, you know, being too harsh on Dom in the situation. If you watch Henry Cejudo's post-fight interview, where's Dom Cruz the entire time? talking to Dana White standing beside Dana White whispering in his ear and they're having a dialogue and a conversation yeah. back and forth yeah that that's what I'm talking about that level of comfortability you know um anyway Justin Gagey we said it from the very from the onset man was going to be an absolute nightmare matchup for Tony Ferguson and I don't like being that right on stuff but styles make fights and you know call it two weight cuts in three weeks call it you know, over preparation, over training, or just the fact that Justin Gaethje is better than people are giving him credit for. The fight against Dustin Poirier, the fight against Eddie Alvarez, those were undisciplined slugfests that he got caught, but he was capable of winning both of those fights. He comes in, he shows a little bit of dif uh, discipline, and he shows himself to be one of the greatest 55ers on the planet Earth. Sleep on him at your own peril, man. And he doesn't use his wrestling ever. At all. It's bonkers. I've heard, I've heard that he's an NCAA All-American wrestler, but nobody's ever seen it. But we've heard it. It's, it's, there's, there's proof of it, but nobody's ever seen it inside the octagon. So what on earth would it ever look like if somebody tried to wrestle Justin Gaethje? <laughs> I don't know, but outside of just the fighter, you have to look at who's in his corner. And I will say team elevation is A plus just grade A coaching. And I'll tell you why. If the, the biggest part that I took out of that was heading into the fifth round with about five seconds left. It was the one vulnerable moment we saw of Justin Gaethje when he got kind of clipped, goes down to his knees. And everyone, I think, through the whole course of the fight thought, you know, this is this is a moment that could be uh, it could turn the scales a little bit. Round five, you know, granite, Ferguson's going to have to sleep him. But Justin sat on his stool. His coach came right over to him and said, hey. And he said right away, Justin was coherent enough to say, I got lazy. I'm sorry. That's happened to me twice before. And he said, hey, stay in it. Stay composed. Stay in your lane. Let's him out. Round five, demolishes yeah. it, crushes it, gets the interim title. Yeah, he, he said, all right. He said, he said, you're having too much fun. Stop. And Gaethje goes, I'm, I'm being lazy. I'm right. being lazy. Sorry. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's that that's a rare thing when you have an interaction between coach and pupil coach and athlete, whatever the case you want to call it, or teacher, pupil, coach, athlete. Uh, you know, and that's one of the great things about the empty arena that I really enjoy is it gives you added insight to what the corners are saying. You can hear that crystal clear, uh, which makes things really interesting. 
And there's been a lot said about the coaching in that final fight. And there has been some blame. There has been some commentary, if you will, about the lack of coaching or the lack of adjustments made on the Tony Ferguson side. And, you know, we did watch, you know, you got to see in between rounds and everything like that. Did you, were you sitting there, you know, watching it, thinking that they should be doing more, giving him more adjustments to make, or, you know, were you, ha- did you feel it was okay with the way Tony was being coached through that fight or no? I didn't. And I felt like the only time I really heard some coaching was the Hail Mary coach, which is throwing him an Ari. Like yeah. what dude, h- how about stay out of the pocket and not tra- you know, move around, use your unorthodox. I love that sl- sleeping kit or a uh, sweeping kick. He did with his hands on the canvas. That, that was, was great. Unique. That was great. You know, use your or- ortho unorthodoxness create some distance and calm down don't get in these firefights but instead the coaches are saying throwing him an ari roll like dude that's like going to tom brady and being like hey you're down by 40 just start chucking hail marys it doesn't work like that yeah there's no strategy to that and especially when you're four rounds in the can that's just not that of course they're going to be thinking desperation of course justin gagey side is thinking desperation if i'm not mistaken the other 30 seconds of that, when they showed the first 30 seconds of Tony Ferguson sitting there and Eddie Bravo told him, you know, think about the Imanari role. They Next 30 seconds, they switch over to Trevor Whitman and he goes, be careful. You know, he's going to come with that rolling shit. <laughs> I mean, so it's like, no, <laughs> I mean, if, now, if you're if you're 30 seconds into the fight, and you come out there and you roll Ryan Hall style. That's yeah. the kind of stuff that you expect out of yeah. an unorthodox Tony Ferguson, but not, you know. After 20 minutes of getting beat up, dude, that's just not that's not quality coaching. Now, I don't discount Eddie Bravo or any of the guys in Tony Ferguson's corner. I mean, he's obviously surrounded himself with world champions and experts that know or probably have forgotten more than I'll ever know. However, I think that at a certain point, you have to realize that maybe, uh, you know, your guy or your girl doesn't doesn't have it that night. You know what right. I mean? As a parent. You watch your kid play, right? And you go, oh, they got it. They got this. You know, whatever it may be. Oh, they got it. They're going to get it. And then quickly you realize, oh, maybe they don't got it. And then parental instincts need to kick in and you either need to help them out with it or save them from themselves uh, from a situation. Situation like that, you're watching Tony Ferguson and going, Tony's got this. Tony knows what to do. But then they sort of just got stuck taking pictures of the fight for 20 minutes and not realizing shit, Tony's in a lot of trouble and he doesn't know how to make an adjustment. It doesn't appear with an unorthodox guy like that. You even came up with a plan A, let alone a plan B, C, D, other than let's get weird. That's not going to work when you're getting beat up. You know what will stop stop making you be weird? Getting punched in the face. (laughs) Right? Nobody wants to act weird when they're getting hurt. Nobody. No. No. So... Um, last thing about this fight, did you think it was a good stoppage? I thought it was a great stoppage. And I'm not the biggest Herb Dean fan on the planet, but at a certain point, when you see him shaking his face like a dog, like a wet yeah. dog, yeah. I mean, that is some serious concussion protocol right there, one-on-one. Yeah. I thought that the jump-in was perfect. I thought it was, you know, clearly Tony's had enough. You know, as much as he said he wants to go on his shield at a certain point, and we, we learned thereafter, an orbital fracture, you know, God knows he had a bunch of concussions that happened thereafter. Sure. I think that was the most appropriate stoppage on the planet. Yeah, I think we're going to reach, a, at some point, we will reach a boxing level of stoppage, right? So, like, you, mm-hmm. I know you don't watch a ton of boxing, but you watch enough of it to know that 
a guy can get knocked down one or two times or whatever. But then if he comes up, even if a guy comes at him and puts a good flurry on him, and if he's defending himself but not defending himself well, or a referee just thinks that you're getting hit too frequently, they'll just come in and wave it off and just say, you're done, it's not your night, sorry for your luck, and they'll send you off into the sunset. That's the way that it is. You could have made the argument that that fight should have been stopped maybe in the fourth round. Um or even earlier in the fifth round, uh, by and large, you know, I know the numbers say that to- or that Justin only outlanded Tony by like twenty or so strikes. But given the nature of the damage and the body's reaction to the damage that was being inflicted on it, I was more than okay with that stoppage. Um, I honestly think, you know, Tony said that he didn't. He wanted to go out on a shield, but. He was behaving as if he didn't want to get hit anymore. He was shaking his head like he didn't want. Yeah. And then he looks at Herb Dean. And then when Justin comes at him, he almost like ran towards Herb. Right. Yeah. Your body involuntarily told you you were done, my man. <laughs> so, all right. Let's get into Wednesday's fights, man. We got huge, uh, two huge cards still. We got well, makeup from UFC Portland and a bunch of other events that are getting rebooked, rescheduled. Everything's getting jacked up, uh, jacked up and, and slammed into Jacksonville. The Vistar Arena is on and popping. Let the bloodshed be plenty. Uh, let's get things kicked off and started on Wednesday's card. Uh, you know, I don't even know what to call these. We'll just call them fight night cards. I really don't know what to do with it here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, let's get this main card started. Marvin Vittori taking on Carl Roberson. Carl Roberson, a plus 140 underdog. Boy, is Vegas giving Marvin Vittori a lot of love on that, man. Yeah, dude, the Italian dream riding a two-fight winning streak with back-to-back decision wins. I mean, he is definitely the more aggressive fighter, but Carl Robinson... The guy's the guy's legit. Um, yeah. He's a super patient striker. He's calm. He's collected. He's strong. He's got great kicks. I think they're looking at this like Marvin Vittori is the aggressor, and the aggressor is going to get it done. Um, I like Marvin Vittori in this. Again, the Italian dream. He's shown to be aggressive, and you know. But then again, he is coming off two back-to-back decisions, so your aggression can only work to a certain point. I will say, I think he's fought the better competition. I like Vittori in this fight. Yeah, I think minus 170, that's a good play. Uh, you know, he does have the wrestling to back up. Uh, you know, if things get squirrely on the feet, Carl Robeson has shown himself to be, uh, you know, a little difficult to take down. But once he is taken down, he suffers on the ground. Uh, Marvin Vittori would be, you know, inclined or should be inclined rather to get this fight up against the cage, make Roberson carry his weight for a little bit, drag him down to the ground, and then either grind out, uh, you know, a little GNP style you know, TKO win here or more than likely probably going to go to decision. I'm not crazy about this fight on either line. I don't necessarily know if I want to make a play on it, but I like Vittori in this fight. Although baby K Carl Roberson is more than capable of getting a win here, but I'll tell you what fight I do like. I'll tell you what fight I do like. I like this next fight. Ricky Simone taking on Ray (laughs) Borg. Ray Borg plus 140. I love getting Ray Borg as a wrestler, the way he's fighting at this weight against Ricky Simone at plus 140. Dude, I love this fight. I know, I know. And the wrestler, back-to-back wins, not retiring because he's missing weight. Mm -hmm. This dude is back in the thick of it. Ricky Simone, you know, who was on a crazy win streak before he ran into the legend that is Uriah Faber on a two-fight losing streak. This is Ricky (laughs) Simone's last chance. This is it. It's doggy dog. You know, he's going to throw it all in the ring. But I think at the end of the day, you love your wrestlers. I've got to love Ray Borg at plus 130. 
No, plus one forty. Oh, jeez. I know it makes a difference. Listen, and here's what I, here's what people don't understand. Anybody that listened to the Drew Dober interview, anybody that follows me for or has followed us rather for any period of time, you know how I feel about new haircuts going into fight week. And what has Ricky Simone done? He shaved off his yeah. mullet. New haircut for Ricky Simone, and he's a favorite in a fight. I'm pounding Ray Borg at plus one forty, dude. I'm pounding that line. I freaking love that fight. All right, let's speaking of speaking of good haircuts, Drew Dober, friend of the show. Taking on Alexander Hernandez. Drew Dober went from a plus 150 underdog trade to a minus 125 favorite against Alexander Hernandez coming back minus 105. Drew Dober minus 25 as a favorite single-handedly because you and I changed the entire (laughs) betting landscape of the United States. We made Drew Dober a favorite for probably the first time in the last, I don't know, six fights that he's had. Drew Dober minus 125. We got to take him, man. We have to. Oh yeah, I can't can't not take him. But I think that this fight suits Drew to his perfect perfect degree. Alexander Hernandez is a guy that actually likes space. He likes to utilize his kickboxing, keep a little bit of distance. What does Drew Dober do? The dude will bull rush you. He'll bull rush you, and he'll stay calm and collected in the quiet storm. He'll stay in the pocket. He'll throw his aggressive punches. He'll drop you. Part of team elevation. I mean, this guy, this team has got the recipe for all success. I love Drew Dober in this fight. Absolutely, it is a story of teams too, and that's one of the things that we, you know, I was, uh, I don't know if I sent you a text about it, but I was talking uh, to my brother about it on Saturday night. As soon as Jeremy Stevens lost, I was like, mm, Cruz is done. Cruz is done. <laughs> Whenever you have team, dude, teams ride that momentum, and Jeremy Stevens losing. The next thing you know, Dominic Cruz gets knocked out as well. Justin Gaethje gets that win, and now we're looking at Drew Dober getting a win as well at minus 125. Hopefully you're not frozen. You're not moving on my screen. Okay, you're back. There we go. I'm back. Whew. Okay. Got nervous there. I heard everything you said. I totally agree okay. with everything you said. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. All right, excellent. One of the lines, one of the uh, – Alternate lines that I really love in here. Drew Dober wins inside the distance plus two plus two hundred on that. Um, love it. If you're feeling froggy, that's a great that's a great play. Yeah. If you're yeah. feeling froggy, but our play, for the sake of our play, uh, will just be Drew Dober outright at minus yeah. one twenty five. All right, the second fight of the night that I really really love Wednesday night. OSP's moving up the light heavy or from light heavyweight to heavyweight, taking on. Probably one of the most seasoned veterans at heavyweight in the UFC. I don't understand this matchmaking at all. They are feeding OSP to the Wolves to see whether or not he's ever going to cut his teeth as a heavyweight. Taking on the King of Kenosha, Big Ben Rothwell. And they've got Rothwell as an underdog against OSP at heavyweight. Dude, I don't understand what Vegas sees here. I am going to push my chips all in on Ben Rothwell here to crush OSP at heavyweight, man. Yeah, Vegas apparently doesn't know the big Wisconsin straight left, dude. They don't know it. And that's a big issue when you've got someone that likes to have a little bit of distance and get get a little bit of a, you know, create some separation. Ben Rothwell will march you down and he will just crush you with that straight left. This is a bad matchup for OSP. It's a bad matchup for him because one, he didn't have knockout power at light heavyweight. Right. So what on earth is he going to do at heavyweight? What who's he cracking? Is it, and, and you know he's not high kicking people at heavyweight. He's not throwing that left leg up. He can try, but 
but he's not getting that up on top of six, seven Ben Rothwell with them big hairy <laughs> shoulders. What are you doing? Yeah. You're not kicking Ben Rothwell in the head. Your only hope is to try to take him down and get that Von Flew choke on it. But Ben Rothwell is six, seven, 265. You're talking about a guy that cuts weight to fight at heavyweight. Good <laughs> luck getting your hands around his big ass and getting him to the ground. Ben Rothwell is going to win this fight. The only way that Ben Rothwell loses this fight is if he gets too complacent and playing the counter-strike game, and these two just go out there and take pictures of each other all night long, and things get weird, and you're not sure how to score the rounds, he could get outworked in that regard. Other than that, Ben Rothwell, plus 110, throwing it on there with my other underdog, Ray Borey, at plus 140. I love it, dude. I love it. Yeah, I love this card a little bit more than 249. It's The writing's on the wall with some of these. I love it. All right, Anthony Smith taking on Glover Teixeira. Uh, Anthony Smith's sitting at minus 185. Uh, Glover to share plus 150 to share is over 40 man. I think Smith uh, it, we're going to see him make a second run now that the light heavyweight division has sort of been cleared out. The, the, the dust is settling. There's not really anything, no clear contenders. Anthony Smith can make the argument that he deserves to be back in the conversation despite a lackluster performance against John Jones before he can make a statement that he deserves to be back in title contention with a win over Glover Teixeira, who would be his third legend, the third scalp of a legend he can add to his uh, add to his belt there. Rashad, Shogun, Glover Teixeira, not to mention Gus. He sent Gus yeah. into whatever that short retirement was. Anthony Smith is no joke at 205, man. Um, I, I, I really like him here against Glover Teixeira, minus 185. I love him too. You know, fourth round submission over Alexander Gustafsson. That's not the last time he fought. He's fighting people at his home, some home intruders. That's so he's true. got no ring rust whatsoever against a 40 year old plus guy that moves forward and's got a heavy right. This guy's analytical and Anthony Smith. He's definitely good. You know, granted, you know, Glover's got a black belt in BJJ. He's got to be a little bit careful on the ground, but that's not something that. Anthony's not aware of or used to. This guy's good. He's more well-rounded fighter. I think he'll be the, a little bit more of the aggressor, and he'll be a tactician, really keep his distance and be strategic about how he wants to finish this fight. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. All right, well, let's move on to Saturday's cards real quick. Let's get some of these knocked out, keep things respective as far as our times go. All right, Saturday's fights, uh, UFC Fight Night 172 from the same arena as the UFC Fight Night 171, the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, let's kick off some of these real quick before we get into the main card uh, for this for this event. Darren Elkins versus Nate Landwehr is tucked away in the prelims, and Darren Elkins, oh, really? yeah, Darren Elkins is a slight favor or slight favorite at minus 120. I love Darren Elkins at minus 120. Oh man, I didn't I didn't see that. I'm shocked. Team Alpha Male for life. Um, I love that. Um man, really I didn't see that. It's that's early prelims? Yeah, am I missing it? maybe I misspoke. Let me I can pull up a roster real quick. Let me look I, I'm at that. I'm a little shocked right now. Um, I will say I love the damage. Um God, the only alpha male fighter I thought on this was Song Yudong. That was pretty much it. Yeah, biggest favorite on the main card, Song Yudong, at minus 200. Uh, a lot of these cards you can really just go straight chalk on and be just fine. Let's see here. Let me get this pulled up, make sure I got it right. 
That's right. Biggest favorite. Actually, I'm pretty sure biggest favorite was tied with Claudia Gladelia, which was an interesting thing. But minus 200, not that crazy of an underdog or a favorite in association yep. to the entire card. Yep. Third fight of the night, Darren Elkins versus Nate Landweir. Wow. Okay. So, so what do we do there? I just love Nate. I, I love Darren Elkins at minus 120. I mean, listen, Nate Landweir is no joke. That's That guy's a... Uh, a super talent, um, you know, definitely a prospect to watch out for. Uh, but, you know, we're, he last, you know, coming off a loss, a knockout loss to Gil- Gilbert Burns' little brother, Herbert. Um, yeah. And then he lost a decision before coming to the UFC in XFC, um, you know, against a guy that is probably never going to be in the UFC as De- in Dewan Owens, uh, which maybe I'll eat my words on that. But we'll see. All that to say, he's taken on a guy in Darren Elkins that is, you know, a seasoned veteran that has probably, uh, you know, forgotten more about MMA than anybody Nate Landweir has ever fought, uh, has ever learned. So I love Darren Elkins at this fight at minus 120. I don't know where or how Vegas has given Nate Landweir so much love here, but I love Darren Elkins minus 120. I think it's a great opportunity to make some cash. Never argue with you against a uh, an alpha male guy, so don't worry okay. about that. All right, well, let's go another alpha males kicking off the main card. Song Yadong taking on Marlon Cheeto Vera. Cheeto Vera is obviously on a tear, man, but he's sitting at a plus one sixty underdog here against Song Yadong. Is it the power of Yadong that every that everybody's scared of here? Cheeto Vera is on a roll right now. Not really an argument to anybody that has more momentum than him right now. No, five fight win streak. You're totally right. I think the interesting thing when I look at these two fighters, you got one that one that literally looks like he's on weed, another one's on coke. You got one that's explosive and crazy and or an orthodox, and you got another guy that's very calm but can be exploding. Cheeto Vera is one of those guys that I get nervous about him in firefights because if you watch him, he starts to cover up, right? And rather than engage or create distance, he just kind of stands there. With Song Yidong, who's got crazy kicks, elbows, knees. Man, there's a lot of spaces to, you know, kind of weave in between and drop a guy like that. Yeah. I'm really – something about this line's making me uncomfortable. Makes me not want to touch it. Yeah. Um, if you want to play the momentum game, obviously a play on Cheeto Vera is good to go here. He's been vying for a fight for a couple months now, and they keep falling through. So he's anxious. He's hungry. He's trained. He'll come in in shape. Um, but I didn't expect this line to be as big as it is, which makes me think that one – Either sharp money's coming in in Vegas, which is moving the line too much because they want to play um, Cheeto Vera at some point, or there's something going on that we're just not aware of because of that. And there's too many variables that I don't know, and these cards are getting stacked too close together and matchups are being made too quickly. I'm going to back away from that because I'm not sure what to expect with that fight. Um, normally, I would just say play you know, Song Yadong here because I, yeah. I, I think he's one of the next Asian... Uh, fighters that could definitely make some noise inside the UFC. Uh, however, I, I don't know, man. I'm just too weary about that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit scared of it as well. Yeah. Okay. Next fight on the main card, Christoph Jocko taking on Eric Anders. Eric Anders sitting at a plus 135 taking on Christoph Jocko. Obviously, Jocko is the talent that they're trying to get the push on, but he continually comes up with this high tide, low tide, ebb and flow of wins yeah. and losses. Not really sure what to do. Eric Anders, as you and I both know, is too tough for his own good sometimes. I don't know if Jocko has enough in him to get Eric Anders out of there, which makes me really kind of love Eric Anders over the course of a fight 
at plus 135. Eric Anders, anybody that follows him on social media knows, the dude has never stopped working out. Quarantine be damned. He does not know what it means to stop or social distance. My man has been in the gym since day one. He's also a teammate of Walt Harris. So, uh. so when we look at these team fights and we look at these team mentalities, you've got Eric Anders, you've got Walt Harris. Eric Anders gets the win against Christoph Jocko. More than likely, we're going to let that bleed in preview, uh, foreshadowing, if you will, uh, into what we feel about the main event. But I like Eric Anders at plus 135 here. I do. I, I get nervous because he is a guy that likes to bang. Um, you know, Jocko is someone that's a little bit more active on his feet, kind of creates some space. Um, but, you know, Anders, like you said, he's got a crazy ebb and flow. The dude was like, what? He lost three in a row and now he's won two in a row. He's all over the place. But I, I like him in the firefight. Um, this line's pretty close. And uh, yeah, uh, man, I don't uh, I'm going I'm to defer to you on this one. This one's this one's tough because I mean, Eric Anders can throw for the fence. You know, yeah. Your boy can do it. Yeah. You know who, you know, three guys that I get mixed up all together. And I think everybody could probably just throw them all in a, in like some weird, um, you know, transporter style Bond villain movie. Christoph Jocko, Darko Stosik, and Nikita Krylov. You can't tell me, has anybody seen all three of those guys in the same room at the same time? They might all three be the same dude with different haircuts. I swear. All right. Edson Barboza making his featherweight debut against Dan Ige. Dan Ige is a super tough opponent to put make your featherweight debut. Uh, Edson Barboza obviously has fought the best in the world for the last 10-plus years and in the lightweight division. He's going to try to make 145 and take on an absolute killer on a five-fight win streak with Dan Ige. If he can make weight, Trey, does he have a chance against the cardio king at featherweight in Dan Ige? I mean, oh. what do we expect here? I, I really don't know. How is he going to make weight? I just want to know where he's going to pull any type of weight off himself. The guy was already shredded to shit. He's going to cut off like five toes. Yeah. I don't know how he's going to make it to featherweight. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, I will say, you know, this is a tough fight for me. Um, for those listening, Dale can be very analytical and take his emotion out of his bets. <laughs> I, I, on the other hand, I ride with my heart. I wear my heart on my sleeve and... There's a reason I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt tonight. Well, I yeah. wear a Hawaiian shirt every single night. But the Hawaiian, I'm drinking freaking Pog juice right now. Like, yeah. God, I love Dan Ige. I love, uh, you know, he's on a five-fight win streak. The guy is aggressive as shit. But I am worried. Edson Barbosa has those devastating leg kicks. Is he going to be able to withstand that? You know, like I said, I'm, I usually operate on a, you know, I'm big on momentum. I'm big on, uh, you know, upswings downswings, things of that nature. Dan Ige is on a five-fight win streak. Edson Barboza is grasping at the last little bits of life that he has in his career. No, I'm, I'm, and I, I mean that in the nicest way possible. The guy has realized that there's not anybody in the top five of the UFC's lightweight division that he's going to beat because they've all beaten him already. Um, so who's, who is he going to fight, right? It's, that's already, we're dead in the water there. So, he goes to 145 looking for new life. The problem is, is those guys at 145 where he's going to look for new life, he's going to have to cut a ton of weight to get there. Um, and he's going into what's quietly and slowly building into one of the more deep divisions inside the UFC. Featherweight is a murderer's row right now. I am not betting on Edson Barboza 
at featherweight till one, I see him make weight, and two, he gets a win there. And then I will consider betting on Edson Barboza as a featherweight. Until then, I am betting against him. Dan Ige, as an underdog, I will take that all day, plus 105. I'm taking it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for those listening, Edson Barboza is the most shredded dude on the planet. The guy, the only way that you can get that shredded is you got to eat the best type of meat on the planet. That's true. And if you are going to eat the best type of meat on the planet, you do want to go to stayclassymeats.com and use promo code FIST. Save 10% off your entire order. Great plug there, Trey. All right. <laughs> speaking, speaking of meat, let's talk about your girl, Claudia Gadelia, <laughs> taking on Angela Hill. Claudia Gadelia, minus 200 favorite. Uh, Angela Overkill Hill, five-fight win streak herself. Um, she's absolutely crushing the game right now, man. She's absolutely crushing the game, plus 160 taking on Claudia um, Hill obviously is going to have the speed and cardio advantage, but everything else I think firmly rests in the lap of Claudia Gedalia. What do you think here? Yeah. If Claudia Gedalia wants to win this, it's all going to be with her grappling. It's going to be on the ground. Um, man, it's hard to, hard to really put some faith in her. Um, the reason I say she over her last five fights, she's been one win, one loss. She literally, she would just go to Disney world down the street because she is a roller coaster of a fighter. Claudia Gedalia, I like her in this fight because I think that Angela Hills overexerted herself. She's what one of nine fighters, nine nine fighters, I think, or something like that, that have fought five times in the calendar year of 2019. She's overexerted herself. She's tried to be this most active fighter. At a certain point, that's going to catch up to you. And I think Claudia Gedalia can exercise her grappling, negate any type of striking, and take advantage of this fight. Yeah, and every point you're making right now is exactly the reason why I want people to avoid this fight because I feel like Angela Hill is going to get an upset win here. Nice. So I'm just that's that's just how I feel. Listen, that's cool. I don't bet on women's MMA. I don't want to bet on women's MMA either. So that's what I'm saying. So Claudia Gadelia has been sitting on the shelf a lot longer. I feel like that's sitting on the shelf with somebody like her, although she has faced way stiffer competition than anybody Angela Hill's fought. I feel like that time on the shelf. I feel like the uncertainty of opponent. I feel like the frustration of not having fought in a long time, whereas Angela Hill is in her wheelhouse. You know, imagine like what's easier going and playing or doing and executing something six, seven, eight times, you know, within a calendar year or going out one time and trying to execute it flawlessly against that person that's been practicing. Um, You and I both know if you go to a party or something like that, you never want to hop on and start playing cornhole and start talking a bunch of trash your first time tossing the bags. you got to get a couple games in you first before you start talking all that trash. And I know people talk about ring rust isn't real, but we saw on Saturday night that ring rust is a real thing. You can find those fluke athletes where it doesn't affect them as much. But when the margin for error, and don't get it wrong, in women's MMA, the margin for error is very, very small. Uh, with a margin that small, if you're not active, you're getting being forgotten. Claudia Gadelia hasn't fought in a long time, hasn't won back-to-back fights since 2017. Yeah. Angela Hill, on the other hand, is crushing fights left and right, knocking them out, outworking people, just sheerly doing it with hard work. That's it. Just yeah. outwork um, is how she's winning fights. That work ethic doesn't go away. No. She might get knocked out. She might get out wrestled. She might not. Her skills might not have improved, but her work ethic is going to stay the same. Plus 165, she's a live dog, but I'm staying away from that fight. I'm just letting it out there. All right, 
Let's talk about this main event. Walt Harris taking on Alistair Overeem, a fight that was originally booked a while back. However, the tragic events that unfolded with Walt Harris's stepdaughter, Anaya Blanchard, several, uh, well, it was probably about, it wasn't a year ago now, but it's been probably about six months, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. It was within 2020, yeah. Yeah. Um, those of you not familiar, Walt Harris's stepdaughter was kidnapped and murdered. Um, and this will be his first fight since then, taking on Alistair Overeem. Uh, the general consensus of everybody I talk to feels like they're going to see a Walt Harris that's at, that, that is going to be fighting like a man uncaged and that he's going to try to unleash some sort of fury on Alistair Overeem at plus 140. But I feel like Alistair is cerebral enough to know what's in front of him. And I don't know if I necessarily love Walt Harris in this fight. Does he get too emotional? Man, I... I want the Disney story for Walt Harris, but it's 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 too soon, man. Alistair Overeem looked like a beast against Rosenstruck. He was winning that fight to the last five seconds. His kickboxing looked amazing. His cardio, hell, I I don't think Overeem's ever had the greatest cardio, but he looked freaking fit as shit through that fight. I liked how he was moving. I loved his kickboxing. He looked great. He should have gotten that. I don't know if he should have gotten that title shot, but I think that he was deserving of whatever Rosenstruck was going to get because he beat Rosenstruck in that fight. Walt Harris is very aggressive, but hasn't fought the level of competition that Overeem has. I, I, I've got to side with o, uh, Overeem on this fight. Plus 140s, weird, man. Anytime you can get a guy like Alistair Overeem with his resume at plus 140 is definitely something to pay attention to. I'm not overly sold on Walt Harris at minus 170. Don't necessarily feel confident in making a play on Walt Harris at minus 170. But I'm not going to fault anybody for making a play on Alistair Overeem at plus 140. I will say this, and I think maybe this is the way that I'll play it. And I'm going to play it, you know, sort of day of, night of. If Eric Anders wins, I'm going to make a play on Walt Harris. If Eric Anders loses, I'm going to make a play on Alistair Overeem. Is the way I'm, this is the way I'm personally going to play it. Now, I'm obviously playing Eric Anders regardless, um, but I'm willing to step back away from that main event to sort of see how the rest of the night's unfolding. I also want to see how Walt's carrying himself going into yeah. fight week and all of that stuff. There's too many variables at play with that main event. So um, going to play that one a little bit closer to the chest, maybe make an announcement on Instagram as time gets closer. I think everybody can get down with that. Yeah, for sure. And for those that are listening, make sure to follow us on all of our social channels, Punchless MMA. I know tonight we've covered both the main card on the two upcoming fights, but we can 100% steer you in the direction of a lot of these prelims fights. That doesn't mean that we don't have the insight. doesn't mean that we have the, you know, the critiques. We have it all. We just don't have enough time to put it all out there. You guys can definitely hit us up. We love to communicate with you guys, share with you all the knowledge that we have, um, and then kind of hear, you know, what's kind of going on in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. So let me ask you this, since we're wrapping this up, how was, how was your mother's day? Ah, oh, dude, quarantine mother's day. Uh, <laughs> uh, it just justified drinking before 10 AM, some mimosas right. and having some eggs. That was pretty right. much it. Yeah, I, I can get on board with that. I can get on board with that for sure. Um, you know, if, if you're looking as far as those of you that didn't get to celebrate mother's day this year, if you're looking to be able to celebrate mother's day next year, one of the ways that you can do that is by, making a baby. Uh, making a baby is an easy way to celebrate Mother's Day because in turn, when you make a baby, you make a mom. So in doing so, if you want to help yourself out to be successful in that regard, so you can celebrate Mother's Day with Trey and I next year, uh, by all means, go to manscaped.com. Use our promo code 
punch, it'll save you 20% on everything that Manscaped offers. In addition to that, it's also going to get you free shipping so you can get it to your house fast enough that you can actually get it started because those of you who are unaware, it takes nine months to cook a baby. So one, you got to put that baby in there. Two, it's got to cook for nine months. And then three, you got to get that thing out of there so that you can actually celebrate Mother's Day in time. So if you get started now, by the time you order and you get it, now's a great time. So that way you can go ahead and get that baby fired out of there for Mother's Day next year at manscaped.com, promo code PUNCH. Um, I've got to say this. If you guys have listened to us the past couple episodes, uh, Dale decided to tell our followers that I like feet. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why people are still sending pictures of feet. But people are not only just utilizing the code Manscaped, but they're using their code Manscaped to buy foot deodorant. You can see right here. This is foot deodorant. So not only are people sending photos of their disgusting feet to my Instagram, but they're sending me foot deodorant that they're buying with the code PUNCH for 20% off. Guys, enough is enough. I've seen enough feet. It's over. It's over. <laughs> Have you had it? Have you added up to here or down to there with your <laughs> speed picks? <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd rather have it up to here. I cannot right. look down anymore, dude. Right, you know? right. Well, see, that's the thing, though, is the more you manscape, the more there is to look at when you look down. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right, man. The easiest way to make your deck look bigger is to trim your bushes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to put a bow on this thing. Appreciate everybody's support. Uh, like Trey said, if you haven't done so already, please like, subscribe, review. Uh, follow us on all our social media platforms, Punchless MMA. We're pretty easy to find everywhere. Um, and if you got something to say, we want to hear it, shoot us an email at chat at punchlistmma.com. Trey, that's it, man. That's all I got. You got anything else? No. Nope. Get ready, guys. Uh, Wine Wednesday, coupled with some fight nights. It's going to be good. Love it. Wednesday's an afternoon card, is it not? Oh, jeez. Is it really in the middle of a think, work day? I think it is. I think it's. I think it's day drunk. I think we're getting day drunk on Wednesday. Oh, God. All right. Time to prepare. I know it. All right. Thanks, guys. Be good to each other. Talk to you soon.